Before we get going into your Hockey IQ podcast episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Rapid Shot. Rapid Shot is the smart shooting lane. Uh, it's like a batting cage for hockey players. Very cool. Tracks your shot in three ways. Accuracy, shot speed, and reaction time. Uh, easy to use. Uh, actually, I used it when I played and was growing up. Very easy. Simply scan your phone in, select your settings, and start shooting. Uh, you can see your stats on the app and online. And you can check them out at rapidshot.com. Uh, great small business. I actually grew up with one of the owner's sons and have played with all the family members by now. Uh, just in local pickups here in Ohio. Very cool local business. Awesome product. I love it. I know quite a few NHLers have them in their homes. Uh, a lot of D1 programs have it at their rinks. So you have to check this out. Rapidshot.com. Check it out. Rapidshot, thank you so much for sponsoring our podcast. On the Hockey IQ podcast today, we bring on Corey Snyder. Uh, Corey, really glad to have you. Um, I I don't even know what your job title is anymore, so uh, maybe inform me. All I know is you do excellent work, uh, data tracking, bring up a lot of good points, uh, overall extreme hockey watcher. Yeah, I would say my title is somewhere between like uh, analyst, data collector, hockey writer, consultant kind of jack of all trades person that watches a lot of hockey but doesn't doesn't know everything about it but wants to (laughs) yeah yeah i I can't keep up with all of that um you do a lot i'm impressed uh definitely a a man that uh has seen a thing or two to say the least um so i'm interested to dive into it you know what what maybe are some of your biases when you watch a game like are there things that just drive you wild like this is so stupid i've watched so much hockey and this is just dumb and terrible or there's some things when you watch a game you're like this is fantastic people should do this more and i love when teams do that well like what's been grinding my gears the last few games i've been doing is just uh is goalies freezing the puck off like pucks that just roll in and just taking a defensive zone face off it's I don't know if it's like, it's not necessarily a thing I feel like is bad. It's just more of just like, I don't want to watch a bunch of face-offs and stoppages personally. (laughs) So somebody that enjoys watching hockey, but I don't know. There's a lot of biases I have. It used to be that I hated cross corner dump-ins. I still don't like them that much. Like I, I prefer it if you, I prefer it if you're like shipping a puck to an area where your guy can go get it instead of kind of, sending a puck to, instead of just creating like a 50 50 puck battle in the corner. That's is kind of just the play that you make when you're struggling and you don't really know what to do, which I mean, has a time and place. Cause sometimes you get, these are all, these are humans after all, they get frustrated, bad habits creep in, but like, uh, but I don't know. I'm like plays that are just always less optimal and don't they're just always kind of driving nuts when I'm watching a game. <laughs> Okay, so less optimal plays. Uh, so clearly you're talking about point shots in there. Um, anything beyond point shots that is just really suboptimal and really grinds your gears? Um, hmm, let's see. Well, I'm not a huge fan of the defle- – I mean, I've kind of – I don't know. I appreciate players who are very good at like deflecting pucks and tipping them in and such, but I don't enjoy watching it personally because it's like – unless you have like Joe Pavelski or like Kyle Connor or somebody that's very good at kind of, that's very good with like hand-eye coordination. A lot of time it's just a, a lot of time it's going to miss the net and just going to create another puck retrieval race. That's just going to create kind of a, just create kind of a slog of a game that doesn't really, it's not really enjoyable to watch for me personally, but uh I don't know. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things I can get into. So I think the one thing I hate the most is probably like clearing the puck off the glass or rimming it around the boards, like when exiting the zone, even or even like retrieving the puck in the offensive zone. And you just kind of like I was watching. I think it was Vegas. I was watching uh, one of their guys came in, retrieved the puck and just cleared it around the boards and it went out of the zone. Like I was just like, why did you do that? Like, what did you accomplish here? <laughs> I, 
Three turnovers uh, for everyone. Yeah. That I yeah, I think that's off. I think anything that's involving sending the puck to the boards is probably my least favorite. Yeah, not much happens out there, but there's a lot of value for players that can pull pucks off the wall and get them to inside the dot line and all of that. But I, I'm with you on the rim plays. Like it just drives me wild. Like as a player, very rarely can you cleanly pick up a rim. Like the, I think the offensive zone, like rim releases going far side kind of opens up the play. Like I, I think I can make peace with that. And like, those are good, but like any rim in the defensive zone is usually just absolutely terrible. I feel like it leads to turnovers. I don't know. Do you have any data or numbers on like breakouts? Like is the, the rim play has got to be the worst, if not one of the worst for pucks coming right back and getting shots against you. Yeah, that's something I don't track in that much detail. Like, I don't really track the type of zone exits or the type of breakout. Like, I remember, if you uh, remember Ryan Stimson, uh, I don't know if he's doing any public work, but he was tr- he used to track breakouts by type. And that's something I haven't done yet, but it's something I'd like to do. I just like to kind of get feedback from coaches on, like, what's the correct type of, like, terminology for each breakout just so I'm like collecting the right type of data, tracking the right things. But I do remember from happy to be involved in that project. Yeah. Out of 10. I want in. Yeah. That's definitely something I kind of have in the back of my mind of doing, but I do remember from Ryan's project that remming the puck or having the goalie play the puck were like led to the most turnovers or just the least amount of offense. And I don't know. Sometimes it's like, it's a time and the place for, there's a time and the place for things like that, but it's like, it's like in football when you're just throwing the ball away because nobody's open or like you don't or just or just you're panicking you don't see anybody open you just get rid of it and sometimes it's an intercept sometimes it's an interception more oftentimes than not it's an incomplete pass which i kind of feel like is what happens most of the time when you run the puck around because it's just like it's a turnover but it's also sometimes it's a puck battle that just creates a very disorganized exit that just leads to a it just leads to games being a slog, which like is not the type of hockey I enjoy kind of, I enjoy watching or working with. And like, um, I'm just for the game being open, fast paced back and forth. So and four and four, 24, seven, you're, you're down for cutting jobs out of the NHL. I mean, if four on four led to that, yes, but it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> four on four leads to very low event hockey. Yeah, because everyone everyone wants possession like too much, and it's harder to force the turnovers, right? But I'm with you on like the the rims are some of the worst plays ever. I find it to be like super lazy, or more realistic, it's like passing a problem to a teammate. I don't know what to do with this anymore, and I don't want to take a bet at hit or be the one causing the turnover directly. So I'm just going to give it to you. Like here, make this better. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, that's. it's something that like I don't track, but I kind of weave it into the work that I do with tracking zone exits and breakouts. Like I changed the last the last two years, I've changed it to tracking puck retrievals. And basically I look at where the exit starts and whether or not the player retrieving the puck did it cleanly or he botched it, which means he bobbled the puck, rimmed it around the boards and didn't exit the zone created just a loose puck battle for somebody else to deal with. And I feel like it's done a pretty good job of kind of sorting out who like the best, the best players in the defensive zone are as far as like solving problems within like solving problems with the puck. I don't feel like I've, I I feel like I haven't said, I don't have a great metric for like defense overall because there's a lot more things that go into it, but a lot of messes and a lot of plays start and end with the puck retrieval. And I feel like, uh, and I feel like uh, it does a good, this does a good job of like sorting out players that kind of fall into those bad habits of making the good play with the puck off the retrieval and just creating problems for other, for your teammates. Yeah. It seems like it's a, a truly a separating factor for defensemen. Like if I'm scouting defensemen, that's one of the first place, if not the first place I'm going is like, how does this person do on retrievals? Cause there's so many habits that go into retrievals that are foundational to being good in other areas of the game. Like a good scanning habit, you know, looking around before you touch that puck. Oh, puck protection, the ability to take care of that puck. 
like that's absolutely massive. And then the idea that you're talking about here, like not rimming and passing problems and making sure you're passing to a teammate that has options to actually do something with the puck massive. I mean, if you're doing those three things, I'm pretty sure every coach, parent, players would be very happy and it all gets under a microscope with retrievals. Cause if you're bad at, and you're creating turnovers nonstop, uh, you're, you're not a well-liked teammate. Yeah. I also feel like it has a good, um, it's a good way of kind of, of it's like in creative way of like for coaches to kind of build defense pairs like i remember uh jack Hahn talking about defensemen who are sprinters more than retrievers i think he was talking about uh timothy timothy lilligren in toronto like he called him a sprinter like somebody that's good once they get the puck but he's not good at getting the puck but like in open ice he's very good and that's why you pair him with somebody that can retrieve the puck so he can kind of get up ice and do what's do what or play to his strengths. And uh, that's something that I always kind of look for with tracking uh, defensemen now. Like I kind of look at who's going back to get the puck and who's the one making the play with the puck. Or sometimes you have guys who are good at both, like uh, like Miro Heiskanen, who's kind of like the jack of all trades there. And then other times you have defensemen that kind of, you have defense pairs where there's kind of like some synergy there where you have one guy going back to get the puck and another guy who's exiting the zone. And it's, uh, it's always interesting to see like uh, how roles are kind of split there, especially at the NHL level where you kind of think that, I mean, most of these players are like, mo- like everybody, like in the NHL, like they're there for a reason. They're great at the sport, but like playing against the elite competition every night, it's interesting to see how it, like the roles are split to kind of play to each other's strengths. Yeah, I think like the weak side defenseman is someone who wants to always be real active and gets even on exits and puts themselves in spots to get great pucks and maybe can uh, look around and see who their help is. And then you got those retrievers, which are like a little more homely, protectionistic type, like wanting to make sure they do a good job for others. Um, get that head start. Yeah, it's, it's massive, man. I think that's a great way to put it is like sprinter versus retriever or just like someone who wants to be attached to the play on an offensive manner, but isn't going to abandon the D right away. But as soon as it's a funny puck, kind of like 50, 50, like they're going, they're just getting up ice regardless. And then you got the other person who might be a little more defensive minded and, and, you know, CYA cover your butt. Yeah. And like, sometimes a guy might be miscast in that role too, because it's uh, you, sometimes you'll pair like a safe shutdown guy, like the the whole Mark Mathod era, Carlson gambits in Ottawa for many years. Like uh, Mathod was always kind of like the defensive presence, but it's not always like a defensive, like it's not always like a solid defensive defenseman. That's a good match for like an Eric Carlson, like because the guy retrieving the puck has to make a pass too. And sometimes like a stay at home defenseman might be good at like taking a hit, but he might not have like the best puck skills or awareness of where to go with it. So sometimes it kind of, it can hamper the pair, but other times it's like the, like sometimes you'll have a guy like Adam Fox, who's kind of good at, like, he's very good at retrieving the puck and like, and moving it. And then uh, he's up and like, his guy is always is Ryan Lindgren. Whereas like Lindgren doesn't do a lot of the retrieval work, but he kind of just doesn't make mistakes. Like when he gets the puck, like if Fox is in trouble, he's always there to kind of bail him out and then kind of relieve some pressure for like a second. And then they can kind of go on their way once they, once they get past like the layer of the four check. So it's interesting to see how like the dynamic works sometimes where it's like, uh, where it's like you have defensemen that kind of just their job is to not is just like don't screw up basically for lack of a better <laughs> word yeah or it's like we have a guy that can do it all but he's not going to be able to do everything so we need you to kind of bail him out if the puck is turned over stay in front of the net have your man or just get to the puck before somebody else does and then we'll kind of sort it out from there and uh that's it's definitely it's interesting to see how like it's interesting to see how kind of uh 
like the dynamic works sometimes. Yeah. Well, talking about like sprinters and winning a lot of foot races and that being part of your team structure, I'd love to pivot a little bit towards your favorite team, the Carolina hurricanes, um, because they're, they're an interesting case study because they're run by Eric Tolsky. I think he's their assistant general manager now, but basically uh right-hand man to the GM, helping make decisions. And he's one of the guys who led a lot of these early analytics stuff. And he's probably extremely bright to all of this. And then you watch the hurricanes and they, they don't do much of <laughs> what, what his research showed as being more optimal ways to play. Um, there's a lot of buy-in there's a lot of sprinting. There's a lot of getting after pucks and forcing turnovers. Uh, but I'm curious from your standpoint of seeing the analytics, seeing the data, and then watching the game. Uh, I think you're like the best person ever at seeing the eye test along with the numbers as well. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on just like the Carolina hurricanes being this, like you would put quote unquote anti analytics if you didn't know better. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, like a lot of the foundational work Eric did was on was based around carrying the puck. And uh, I know some people that like looked at the full season of data that I tracked in 2013-14. A lot of them saw that uh, a lot of them saw that like one of the big things that drove success that year was entry differential more so than carrying the puck in. So it was like it doesn't matter how you get the puck into the zone as long as you're winning kind of the territorial battle. But the game was also played a lot different back then, 2013, because like the LA Kings won the cup that year. The Sharks were a dominant team that year, and they were they were probably one of the biggest teams in the league. And like I think they were probably the most similar team to how the Hurricanes play now, because they were just they were very big and getting the puck into the zone by any means any means necessary they didn't do a lot of controlled exits the puck is just cleared out they recover it get it deep get it back go to work and just just hammer the shot clock and uh it's interesting to see how the team's kind of evolved that way i feel like it's kind of it's interesting because it's like it's like it's building on eric's work but not his initial findings but that's kind of part of why like people like me and like my analysts do this because it's like your initial hypothesis isn't always like what leads results or what the answer is but also it goes back to like kind of building around like your team's strengths too because on the flip side you had a team like Chicago that was the highest carry in team in the league that year and they were kind of in the run of their uh three cups in five years I think it was during that stretch and they kind of and they kind of played a totally different way from how the Kings and the Sharks played. And then, and uh, Carolina has kind of gone in a certain direction with how they want to play. But it's interesting because it's like, they do carry, I mean, they do dump the puck in a lot. That is their primarily, that is their primary method of kind of getting the puck into the zone and their primary method of playing. But guys do have the green light there. Like Aho has the green light. Natchez has gotten more of a green light this year. Special comps always had the green light to go. And uh, it's, cha- it's changed a lot really since Brenda Moore took over. So I kind of wonder if that's coming from Brenda Moore to kind of play this way. And it's, I mean, it's led to good results in the regular season. And uh, this kind of goes beyond like, I always look to add layers like to, when I'm tracking just to kind of go beyond like just the initial base level stats. And something I did recently was looked at, I looked at every goal from last season at five on five and the situation of how they were scored. So whether it was off the four check, a cycle, the rush, and if it was off a counterattack, uh, a retrieval in the offensive zone, a turnover in the offensive zone, a controlled breakout, Carolina was one of three teams in the league that had most of their goals come off the four check. And the other two teams were the Sharks and the Islanders. So two bad teams and one great team. And it's it's interesting because it's like I'm not sh- like they play a way that like almost anybody can kind of play the, the way they can, but they also can't because it's very taxing to play the way they do. And it's also like 
you guys have to really buy into play there because a guy like Natchez, like it, you can see him getting, you could see him maybe getting frustrated that he can't kind of create off the rush as much as he wants to. And that he has to play in like a lot more tighter spaces because you're stuck in the offensive zone most of the time. And that's great, but it's also less space than if you're going off the rush against the green and you kind of have to adapt. So like you have to adapt your skill set that way. And it's something that some guys have figured out and others haven't like Aho and Tara Vinen figured it out over time. Sveshnikov has figured it out the past couple of years and Natchez is starting to figure it out this year. So it's been kind of cool to see this team evolve over time and guys just getting more comfortable within the system and start to kind of take the next steps. But I also do wonder if there's a cap on it just because like, just because you're playing in a way that's kind of it's you're using less of the rink, like because they don't create from the defensive zone really much at all. And you're, not creating off the rush or off counterattacks. And that's how a lot of goals are scored, especially from high skill players. So I do wonder if there's a cap on it, but I also think the team this year looks the best than they've had really since Brendan Moore took over. So I kind of want to see how this looks come April. Yeah, they're, they're super interesting. And every time I watch them, I just notice like they're constantly like chipping to speed. Like, it's a ton of purpose when they do get rid of the puck. It's not like they're just dumping to dump, like they're dumping to a situation where it's like maybe a 70, 30 battle or something like that, or at the very worst, at least someone's pressuring it. Like they don't just like blindly throw pucks away. It's just, you're not seeing, you know, the hook passes that you'll see with like the Leafs or any of those like high skilled plays. You're seeing a lot less of those and more like chips. So right. it's kind of like, it is a carry without being a carry type stuff. So I don't know. That's, that's just kind of my eye test, but you watch way more than I do. So tell me, tell me I'm wrong. I mean, yeah, that is what, that is what they do a lot of, especially like, especially the guys that have been on the team for a long time, like your Ajos and your Tara Bidens, because the two of them pretty much share a brain with where each, where each other is going to be on the ice. And I think a, a lot of guys have had to kind of adapt to kind of creating with less space. Like Ajo is probably, I think Ajo is very, very underrated well i don't want to say underrated but he's one of the best players that i watch that is that can create kind of create open shots for himself when he's covered like just from positioning his body a certain way kind of getting himself open kind of always keeping his feet moving shifting a lot changing position and that's why he's like he may not be the most skilled player on the team but he he's always leading the team in goals and points for a reason and it's because he it's because he's played in this system for so long. He can create and he just knows how to just he knows how to kind of work within work within a system where you don't have a lot of space to work with. Yeah, it seems like the perfect players for them are guys that are physical and have a lot of small area skills and nuance to their game. Like those yeah. are the players that seem to fit the best for Carolina. It's yeah, it's, it's an interesting team to watch. Um, curious to see going back kind of maybe to the beginning a little bit, may, maybe some biases of things that you love to see. Uh, and you're like, ah, oh, I could, I could tune into that team or that, you know, that see these plays all game long. Like what might be something that you just absolutely adore? Well, something that I've really kind of took notice the last couple of years though it, uh, the last couple of years is guys who kind of know what to do with the puck before they even get it. Like Jason Robertson is really good at doing this. Like the puck is on his stick for maybe like a millisecond before, before he moves it or makes a shot. And that's, it's really just, it's really fun to watch like that line, just go to work and kind of just read off each other. So well, like I really just like watching chemistry in action Cause I feel like that's something that's really hard for me to kind of quantify with the stats that I track, but it's obvious to kind of watch when it happens and just seeing like, just seeing how well players work together. And Robertson is interesting in particular, cause he's somebody that doesn't really lead a lot of rushes himself, but he creates off the rush just from how good he is off the puck and kind of knowing where to be reading off for up a hints because like uh, he's the one that carries the puck in pretty much all the time on that line. 
and just seeing like the, I don't know, just having that sixth sense and also just his shooting. But I don't know. I feel like he's very Austin Matthews like with how his releases and how good he is at kind of getting shots off from very awkward angles. So I just like, I've gotten really into just watching like the nuances of elite players, just seeing like what makes them special. And uh, I guess other biases, like I always like seeing teams that can kind of create off that can create those cross slot passes, like when they don't have a counter attack and it's just given to them on a silver platter, a team like St. Louis did last uh, or like St. Louis did last year. They were just, they were really good at kind of creating, creating those high danger passing plays off of sequences where the defense was like set and they were creating off control breakouts. And I feel like that was very hard to do and very hard to repeat as we're seeing this year with them because they've been kind of struggling this year with repeating their success. But I just like seeing, uh, I don't know, chemistry in action, if that makes any sense or just synergy. Yeah, players that uh, enjoy working together and their skill sets mesh. I mean, uh, if you probably took anyone other than Robertson in Dallas, like Henson Pavowski on their own, they're probably very okay players, but they like really elevate to really great players together. Uh, you know, Pavowski can no longer burn it. Hence can. Robertson kind of like connects the dots or finishes them off. Uh, it's, a, it's a really fun line. Uh, and really well constructed from a skill standpoint and their abilities uh, currently during their careers. There used to be a day Pavelski could get there. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, it's with him, like, he's probably one of the best off the puck in the offensive zone. Like, I don't know. I feel like a lot, well, we always kind of associate off the puck play with like defensive zone, like guys playing away from the puck, but like, he does so much good work in the offensive zone when he doesn't have the puck to kind of just create easy chances, especially on the power play. Like I was watching this game against, I can't remember who they were playing, but he was just working his, he was just working his tail off in front to win a box out and create like a a layup goal for a teammate. And that's, it's always cool to see that in action because it's like, sometimes I'll see a player uh, in my tracking that doesn't, create that doesn't have a lot of entries or a lot of just that's not compiling a lot of stats like he doesn't enter the zone a lot he doesn't exit the zone a lot he doesn't have a lot of passes or shots or scoring chances so i'm like okay what exactly is he doing to lead results and sometimes it's nuances like that that build up over time and like uh paul stastny is somebody that's that's like that too just kind of create just kind of doing a lot of work off the puck to create space for his teammates or just finish plays off or get himself open. I, I love off the puck play. I feel like it's so important. And like, those are like the true geniuses of the game, like a Stastny and Pavalski. Um, and just Justin Williams isn't a bad example either of these guys that are doing all these little details of like working to gain body position before the puck or the play comes into that space. Like that's, I mean, for just gaining body position in general is such a it, the NHL is such a freak league because of how much they value space and how they body up and cut hands and find ways to get body positioning, whether it be at the net or elsewhere. And and the guys like Stastny and Pavalski, um, despite being, I think they're both what thirty seven, thirty eight. Yeah, with yeah, pretty with like non-working legs basically (laughs) yeah exactly like they're still very effective players yeah and uh i had a thought here i've kind of left the station but um (laughs) just talking about off puck play so maybe that'll uh ring a bell or two yeah um but yeah like I, i feel like it's also very important on a team especially important on a team like carolina where you're you're in the offensive zone so much and winning those battles in front or just getting the space in front of the net is so much more important than it is on a team like St. Louis or Edmonton that's creating more off the rush. So like, I like I, I'm not, I don't really have a coaching background, so I don't, I can't really speak to like what plays you design off the rush and like what kind of, or 
I like plays off the rush and all that stuff like that. But like from just watching Carolina and teams that kind of own the offensive zone, but struggle to score, I always kind of look for like the battles in front of the net or the little things they do to kind of create space for themselves. Because like, like in the analytics world, a lot of it is based on expected goals now. And a lot of that is location based. But sometimes like a shot from in front of the net might not be that high quality because you you're jammed like you can't move your hands like you're just jamming the puck into the goalie. There's not a lot of space there. The goaltender might have the area blocked off and like passing does help like with pre-shot movement. But another thing that matters that is very tough to quantify, especially manually or even like with a computer is space. Like how much space do you have to make a shot, pick a court? And that's something that you have to kind of pick over the detail. Something you have to like pick over the details in the game with like when you're doing tracking work like I am, or if you're just kind of analyzing a game or like what's wrong with your team at a certain moment. But that's something that I really like want to kind of get better at with my own tracking, my own analysis, just looking at who's making open shots. Yeah, you do a lot of work in tracking data. What's maybe something you've added and you've found a lot of value in tracking that that data point? Well, aside from puck retrievals, uh, one of the things that I one of the things that I feel like added the most value was looking at shots off the rush versus the forecheck. Cause I feel like that gives you a good idea of how teams are creating their offense and which teams have balance. Cause I think balance wins at the end of the day. Like with Colorado, they were a balanced team. Tampa Bay has always been a balanced team. Like Colorado is considered a rush team, but they're very good at getting the puck back and retrieving it. And I feel like that kind of looking at where shots are coming from kind of just opens the door for like all the other micro stats that I track. So it's like you see a team is good off the rush, but not off the forecheck. Let's look at how good their players are at forechecking, recovering dump-ins exiting the zone things that kind of lead to creating things that lead to like generating a good forecheck. And it, it also comes like it it's, then it gets kind of tough because you have to decide like, okay, is it the players or is it the system? Like, do we just not have the right players to kind of, do we just not have the right players to kind of like uh, play like a forechecking role? Or do we just have guys that like, we have guys that can play a four checking role, but just would rather kind of be in a skill role, if that makes any sense. Cause I feel like that's, I feel like that's something that's not talked about a lot when it comes to like acquiring players, because there's only one puck to go around. Not everybody's going to get points. Like somebody has to like kind of accept the digger role or the four checking role. Yeah. Just like the Zach Hyman's of the world and the Michael Bunting's. Yeah, and I that's something that I kind of wonder how much that comes into play, like just with buying in and all that. Because like I look at Colorado last year where they got they got Arturi Lekkinen, and Lekkinen is uh Lekkinen like was probably I don't know if he was the best player on the halves, but they were yeah, like I mean it's Suzuki's the best player on that team, but Lekkinen when they were struggling last year was probably their best player. And he goes to Colorado and he's kind of slots into an off-puck forechecking role, gets elevated, and then starts scoring. So, like, a guy that can kind of play any type of role like that, I feel like is so valuable just because he can kind of, I don't know, you have guys that are going to fill the pieces you're missing in your roster and are willing to do it. And I just wonder how much of that, I do wonder how much of that comes into play, like, when it comes to, like, roster building and everything. Yeah, same thing with like Team Canada and USA when they go to the World Juniors. Like, you got to accept the role it's less. Like in a tournament like that and playing for your country, you're probably very willing. But if you're doing it for a full season, like, what what's your patience for it? Or like, basically every single player in the NHL was an absolute goal scoring stud in their youth, and they had to eventually learn and adjust to life to survive and build out a career. Like, very rarely. You know, do we have a McDavid? There's reasons why they're like generational talents and all of that. So it's, I feel like that also from, I mean, for thinking about it from a coaching standpoint and scouting standpoint, like a player that is, has the ability to be versatile and adjust is absolutely massive. And then also, I think you're right from like a roster building standpoint, like 
players that can elevate because they have pieces that can play at the higher levels, but are also are willing to do whatever the team asks of them. Like who doesn't love that kind of pro player, you know, whether you're coach management or, or teammate. Right. And that's something I feel like, uh, like uh, Tampa Bay did a really good job of that and Colorado did last year too, kind of with getting like Nico Sturm on the fourth line and well, Lekkonen's obviously the big one, but even like Nachushkin, Nachushkin, when he was playing the lower line role, he was a four checker and had, and was one of the better defensive forwards in the league, just from how good he was at just getting the puck back and keeping play in the offensive zone. But when he was elevated, he could be a difference maker on a top line, which it's it's tougher to find those guys like your Andre Palats of the like because they I, I just feel like sometimes you have a four checker he gets elevated and he'll just it's where chances go to die whereas like a guy like Palat can play that role and be a and just be a contributing player on the top line and it's really tough to kind of it's really tough to find those guys like. I mean, not it, as hard. To, it's not as hard to find elite. I mean, finding elite talent is obviously harder. Like the superstars are obviously harder to find, but the complementary players sometimes it could be a bit of a mystery to find them too. When you're a team that's kind of stuck in, like we need to make the playoffs mode, especially. Yeah, uh, yeah. Players they can play with good players. For whatever reason, it seems like it's difficult to find, and the teams that have a ton of them are the ones that have a lot of success. Um, just that like that middle tier because every, every team seems to have an, a phenomenal player nowadays just based on the salary cap like you just can't put too many on one roster but finding that that complimentary piece yeah it's absolutely massive uh hashtag willie styles william nylander uh not a bad not a bad piece there to compliment but even then just filling it around like kerfoot's really nice yarn crux not bad things like that on those types of teams where they know their role. They're not the all around superstar, but they've got key pieces that allow them to play with high level talent. Um, you know, Zach Hyman's Matt Bunt and, and Bunt, Nick Bunting, where you're like, just go in the corner, get inside positioning at the net, bang home some rebounds, put some backdoor tap-ins, greasy grinders, uh, get paid a million dollars and become a millionaire slowly, but surely by, by doing the hard stuff. But not everyone's willing to do that. I think you're, you're spot on with that. Like, there's plenty of players that want the the clean jersey club. That that's the life for them. Yeah, and uh, it's yeah, it's like something that I feel like is kind of the trap. Like we fall into in the off season with just acquiring players, especially since a lot of the guys in free agency are those players that are kind of in that middle tier. And sometimes you'll sign, sometimes a team will sign them and they're just going to, they're not going to be in like the right role or it's like they get put into a role they're not suited for. And it's, uh, it's always interesting to see, like it's always interesting to see like where guys slot. Yeah. Late nights here. Uh, feel, feeling that as well. So uh, we'll do one more thing here and then we'll, we'll wrap it um, for you. What, what's something that most hockey fans probably don't realize or like what's something that might be obvious to you, but to the average fan or hockey parent, player, coach, you know, something that they can learn or take away or what are some things along the journey that you've learned and acquired and added to your knowledge base uh, as you continue to grow? Well, like having just kind of like, I don't want to say empathy, but kind of just understanding like how tough this game is on, on the ice, you know, because like, I don't know, as a fan, you get frustrated with results a lot. You get hung up on things that don't go right. But like, especially when I'm at games, like there's an AHL team just down the road from here. And I go to a lot of games and you kind of get a sense of just like, you know what to do as a fan. Like I've watched so many games. Like, I've watched so many games. I've watched so many, like I've broken down so many plays, watched a ton of players. Like I know, like I, I have an idea in my head of like what leads to results, like what players should do, what they shouldn't do. 
but it's like guys on the other side get paid too, you know, they're like the other guys like are trying. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you kind of have to have kind of, there's like a sense, like think of the randomness of this game. Things can go wrong. Things can go wrong. And it's just kind of, you have to understand kind of like the process of it. There's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of things that have to go right. There's a lot of things that have to go right when you're watching games and such, but uh I don't know. I just feel like I have more of an understanding of like where coaches are coming from now than like when I used to, it's just like, because like I used to kind of be the fan that'd be like, Oh, they should do this, this, and this, and then they'll, we'll start winning. But it doesn't always work in practice. Like I remember like when I first started, like if every, I thought if every team carried the puck in like 60% of the time, they'll be good. And some teams started doing that and they sucked. Like, uh, it's like Ottawa in 2013, I think was the big one. They were one of the best teams carrying the puck in. They were an awful team that year. And uh, I don't know. It just sometimes like sometimes things and things can go wrong. There's a lot of things out of your control in hockey and there's not one right or wrong way to kind of go about it and just balances a lot more. I have a lot more like I have a better sense of just what balances in the game now than I used to. Cause I used to be just so one track mind with everything. Like I had my way of thinking of what's right and what's wrong, but there's a lot, there's a lot of different ways to kind of to win and go about things now. Yeah. That was something you and I were talking about before this is just like, it's more important for just the buy-in of everyone in the entire group rather than having like the magical system or the magical way to play, just figuring out what works for your group and then having buy-in across the board. Like, so everyone's on the same page. We all know where the pucks are going. So there's like this level of expect expectancy that allows teams to play well together, regardless of the system. Uh, obviously point shots suck. We should do them very moderately, but for the rest of it, like uh, it, that all that every dog has its day and we wouldn't, see it in the game if it didn't work at some point in time or it wasn't effective in x y and z situation right and just like i don't know the games games can happen in just phases too because it's like everybody i think most players know that if you're shooting the puck from 60 feet away with a ton of traffic in front it's going to get blocked most of the time but sometimes it's like you're in a dog of the you're in a dog of a game it's one you're trailing one nothing nothing's going right so like sometimes it's like okay nothing else is working so let's try just firing this and see what happens maybe we can get the defense scrambling maybe we can just re-rack and get something else set up but like i don't know just kind of appreciating different phases of the game too when i'm watching them is another thing because like i don't know i watch i watch so many games every day and there's a lot of especially around this time of year you get into just the dog days of it where everything kind of just looks the same it feels the same but i don't know it's a lot different when you're it's a lot different like probably behind the bench or like in the or like in the player's shoes and i'm like trying to i like try to have a lot more empathy there than i used to because like players not, aren't, aren't always going to do everything the way you want to do or the way like the coach draws it up or everything like or anything like that and Sometimes, th- sometimes like things just happen in a game like hockey because it's a pretty random and chaotic game. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. And uh, as a coach, I can tell you, rarely does it go how you actually draw it up. Um, I always blows my mind how many coaches spend time on the power play and then you watch. Other than the NHL, because uh, the NHL, you know, they're pretty good. Most power plays are just off of broken plays, not the set play that you drew up on the board. It's like, oh, someone failed to clear and you got a three on two close to the net and someone was able to get a rebound or make a backdoor pass. Like, too funny. Um, let the players play a little bit. Yeah, that's definitely a frustrating part like of what I do because it's like, when you're going to break when you're breaking down like a problem you had in your mind and then you go to track or watch you watch what actually happens in the game and it's like oh that kind of just like that kind of just happened like a guy just turned the puck over got knocked off the puck or it went off a boot in front of the nets and created a loose puck where there's like a two-on-one and a goal happened (laughs) it's like oh okay that kind of just but it's also like that in a game like hockey where there's so little scoring that changes the dynamic of the game so much. And it was just a random occurrence and it kind of just, 
puts you behind the eight ball because especially NHL teams do trap a lot or teams do kind of sit back and defend really well in the third period nowadays. I mean, not so much now. I mean, not so much this year. There's been a lot of crazy comebacks this year, but in past years, there's been a lot of third periods where it's just like teams sit back and just kind of wait for you to make a mistake. And that little, that little just random occurrence just kind of led to that entire, just that little occurrence just changed, like just changed the entire makeup of the game. And for all we know, it could be the difference of like making the playoffs or not, or, getting home ice advantage because the standings are so like slim now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I got, I got one last quick one here for, we'll just do some rapid fire questions here. Uh, most underrated superstar, like who's even better than what you think they are. And you already think they're pretty good. Hmm. That's a very good question. I mean, I think it was Jack Hughes, but I think most people know that he's great now. Like, he, um, so, so who's going to be the next guy to pop like into that elite status? Maybe how about that? I think Dylan Cousins might have a shot. Like, I think he's doing pretty good this year too. But he was somebody that had he was somebody that was just electric at creating off the rush. It just wasn't resulting in any goals, trouble finishing, all that. But I think he he's like really po- he was like poised to just kind of have a huge breakout year, and it's kind of happening this year. I think he's a point per game player. Yeah, I watch a lot of Buffalo nowadays, and yeah, he's pretty great. Um, who would be some who's gonna who's a young guy that you're really excited for that shows like some glimpses of things where you're like, man, uh, or a few players that are like, oh, they're gonna be really great NHLers for a long time. Uh, one guy that's taken kind of a next step is Ty Delandria in Dallas. And he was somebody that I thought was going to get lost in like checking forward purgatory because wasn't doing much in the AHL, wasn't producing. And this year he looks like a totally different player, just a lot more comfortable in his own skin, kind of just finding a niche on that third line. And I think he could be a really good kind of middle six guy, very like not a star, but a productive middle six player that you're happy to have on your team for five years. Anyone else? Uh, there's, there's a lot. Let's see. If I can just go through my stats here. See if anybody jumps off the page. The problem with this is like, uh, there's a lot of guys who I feel like already broke out. Like to me, Arthur Kaliev has already kind of arrived, but I think he's going to be really good too. But to me, it's like, oh, he's been in the league two years. Like, he's already good. I really liked Cole Perfetti heading into the season. I think he's having a pretty good... I don't know how he's doing this year exactly, at least off the top of my head. But he just... He has kind of that ability to sort of... I don't know. There's a lot of players that kind of get stuck in the team system and just stuck into just whatever kind of mode they're in. Whereas, like, Perfetti was somebody that played like up to his talent level and just well like he didn't let like how bad the jets were last year bog him down if that makes any sense yeah uh even yeah that's like that's, he, that's, he, it's the worry in columbus now is like hopefully the young guys don't get stuck in having a terrible team yeah he looked like he's he just looked like the player he was in in saginaw where he was just uh where he was just uh electric See, there's a lot. Hmm. Let's see. I feel like I feel like Keandre Miller's already arrived. He had a really good season last year. What do you think of, of Matias Michelli out of Arizona? Any, any good? Yeah, he's been he's been very good there. He's got an interesting profile because it's like he doesn't he carries the puck into the zone, but he doesn't lead a lot of entries. He's like kind of a low like he's kind of like a low workload player that'll take the open ice that's available to him but he doesn't really like carry the, he doesn't really like take over the games himself. Like he'll kind of just like take any open space that's available and just capitalize on it. Yeah. Yeah. He's a small guy. So that makes sense. Maddie Beniers in Seattle also like, I think is ready for, I think he's going to be like a superstar next. Like he's already on the all. He got named to the all-star team. So like, I probably shouldn't say that, but like he, I think he's going to be like a real superstar next year though. Cause he's been just, he's just been awesome. 
and he takes on so much workload there kind of just playing that two well kind of just playing like the, that 200 foot game like with getting pucks out of the zone and just creating on the other end like it's and he's only like 19 years old too that's really impressive to see somebody that young just yep all right last one for us uh and since he's a columbus kid now uh what's your thoughts on kent johnson I haven't seen too much of him, but he kind of looked like he was from the games I watched. He kind of looked like he was stuck in just the, just the environment that Columbus was in where it's, it's tough to kind of create offense there unless you were, uh, unless like uh, you're with Goudreau, but uh, I haven't, I don't really have a great read on him. It's been a while since I've watched Columbus too, but Cole Sillinger stood out to me a lot last year. Like, I think he's going to be a, I think he's going to be really good another year or so. I thought it was, I thought he was going to break out a little more this year than he has though. Uh, yeah, we'll have an off offline conversation about that one. That, that one's an interesting one. Uh, but Corey, uh, absolutely wonderful to have you on. Really appreciate it. Uh, two minutes, plug anything you want to talk about anything you want. Uh, floor is yours. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at sh- at shutdownline. That's kind of my hub for everything, and uh, you can find all of my data at all3zones.com. I have ten games of every team tracked this year. It should be a lot more in another week or so. And uh, you subscribe. You can subscribe to my Patreon there. You get access to five years of microstats, zone entries, zone exits, shot assists, and just. It's just a, it's a encyclopedia of just hockey stats. And uh, a lot of people tell me they just go to my site and get lost in it a lot. I don't know how people do that, but apparently they do. And uh, one of the cool things you get access to on my, uh, through my Patreon is my player cards. So basically I take all the micro stats that I track and create these like player cards with them that show you how each player rates compared to the team average or the league average of their position. So it's a cool way to see like how players just where players gauge and how, what they're doing on the ice to kind of like, it just, it just gives you a good idea of what players are good at and where they struggle just to kind of get an idea of where they do, how they do in the nuances of the game. And uh, you can find my hockey writing at McKean's hockey. I'm going to have a column on the Florida Panthers next week and just why they're struggling so much. And I think that's everything. <laughs> well, uh, Corey, got to say, uh, people don't realize it, uh, especially if you're listening to this, you may or may not know Corey, but uh, if you've seen any player cards or any public work um, that's really dived into micro stats, Corey is literally the data behind it all. Uh, we're super excited to have you on here uh, with all the hockey work you're doing and making a lot of this possible for other folks uh, to share this beautiful game that we all love and appreciate so thanks again Corey. have a good one sir yeah thanks for having me that concludes this week's episode thanks for joining us here at hockey iq if you haven't already take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button give us a thumbs up and drop a review if you want to be a great teammate even recommend us to a friend You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you, Buttes, here next week for a brand new episode.